back and relax. You're listening to episode 178 of the Wolf Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, founder of Ezra Group Consulting. And this podcast features interviews, news, and analysis on the trends and best practices all around wealth management technology. This episode is part of our ongoing series focused on international wealth tech firms. And I'll be talking to Nick Etock from IntelliFlow. Now, Intelflow offers a comprehensive front-to-back office technology platform for financial advisors and their support teams. Since its inception in 2004, Intelflow has experienced rapid growth and has become the number one technology platform for financial advisors in the United Kingdom. Their Intelflow Intelligent Office platform is the backbone of the UK wealth sector, assisting advisors across the full advice journey, including CRM, financial planning, reporting, portfolio management, and digital advice. IntelliFlow's technology supports over 30,000 financial advisors worldwide, representing over 3 million end investors with combined assets of $1 trillion. Now, what's interesting about Invesco, uh, about IntelliFlow is that they were acquired by Invesco in 2018. We get we talk about that uh, in this interview, as well as some of the other acquisitions that Invesco made and has combined into the IntelliFlow platform, including um, US-based firms GemStep, Portfolio Pathways, and Red Black, as well as a, a UK-based company called I4C. Now you can check out their website at IntelliFlow.com, and it's I-N-T-E-L-L-I-F-L-O, no W at the end, F-L-O.com, and you can learn about their four solutions, IntelliFlow Office, IntelliFlow Portfolio, IntelliFlow Planning, and their uh, Red Black IntelliFlow Solution. And if you are an executive of a wealth tech firm that's selling software to RIAs, broker-dealers, asset managers, TAMPs, or others, then you should run, not walk to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, and fill out the Get In Touch form on our homepage. Our industry experts can deliver a wide range of advice, including competitive analysis, new product evaluations, market insights, and strategic advice, client buying decisions, integrated development services, and more. Every vendor needs these things to be successful, especially when entering new markets. And you can get on the right track by going to EzraGroupLLC.com. All right, I'm excited to introduce my next guest on the program. It's Nick Etock. CEO of IntelliFlow. Nick, welcome to the program. Hi, Craig. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for being here. And where are you calling in from? I'm calling from a, a, a sunny but cold place called Walton-on-Thames in, in England, just southwest of London. Brilliant. That is fantastic. We're happy to have you here. Um, so we're going to just start right off and jump into this. Can you please give everyone a 30-second elevator pitch for IntelliFlow. Sure, no problem, Craig. I'm not sure if it'll be 30 seconds, but I'll give it a go. Um, so we um, we provide a suite of software that operates across the entire financial advisory and client lifecycle. Um, we're actually formed from the sort of uh, bringing together five separate digital uh, advice software businesses that uh, Invesco bought uh, over the last five years or so. Uh, and one of those companies was the original IntelliFlow that I founded uh, along with a colleague, Akil, uh, in, in, in the UK. And, and now collectively together, we're, we're so much more than the sum of the parts. We're a global business operating um, from a, a single set of operational processional processes and technology and, 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 and so on. So we're super excited. 
We're also, I think, what's important will be important to, you, to, to your listeners today is our attitude to open architecture. We've been an open architecture believer right since the get-go back in 2004 and have um, hundreds of third parties integrated into our ecosystem as well. So it allows customers of our technology to either use the bits that we provide or the bits that we provide plus other bits all into one, uh, one um, cohesive ecosystem. We support over 30,000 financial advisors worldwide, representing over 3 million end investors and about a trillion dollars uh, service across the platform. So, so we're a pretty big business and, um, and growing quickly. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I wanted you on the program. So I don't think a lot of people, you know, well, of course, US-based firms are very US-centric, but there's way more wealth technology um, around than just US-based. And now you're one of the one of the new hybrid, what I call the hybrid uh, firms, where you've got um, you've got uh, feet in both on both sides of the Atlantic and around the world. And there's, there's more companies in the U.S. that are doing that and providing great uh, technology and new ideas uh, in our space. And, and either buying up companies like uh, you know Vesco bought your firm and then bought another ones and, and putting them together, uh, or or launching, uh, you know, moving, bringing their products and modifying them to support the, the U.S. market. So there's, there's really a lot of interesting things going on, which again is why I wanted to, to bring you on the program. So I'm going to go back to a couple of things you said, but I have some, a couple more questions. So the um, how was the acquisition by Invesco? So you, you founded Intellifos, you've been running for a long time, and you're one of the, the, the most popular applications in the U.K. for financial advisors. How did that change your strategy and um, how you think about the company? Well, I think, as, as you say, we were a pretty successful business in, in the UK with some just under 50% of the UK advisor base uses our technology now across CRM, practice management, portfolio um, valuations and, and, and so on. Um, and so that was pretty good. We were doing and continued to innovate in that market across a single multi-tenant SaaS but what we wanted to do was break out into other markets as well. So take that same uh, um, proper multi-tenant SaaS approach to other geographies. And, and the acquisition by Invesco has really allowed us to, to, to do that and also allowed us to bring the, the, um, the other bits of the technology chain, if you like. So some of those other acquisitions that, that um, Invesco has made over the, over the years together to try and cover any gaps within within that sort of financial advisory life cycle. So this has really enabled us to, to move forward. The global piece is not for the faint-hearted, that's for sure. You know, it's uh, it's not easy. Um, and we spent a good couple of years re-architecting bits of the solution to get there. But now we're live with customers in all three territories across a single, single technology suite. It seemed like a great idea. I mean, we were, we've consulted with a lot of uh, asset management firms about technology. Uh, and we we have, uh, just full disclosure, we did some consulting work for Invesco uh, when, when they first had acquired um, GemStep. So um, we, we we know that platform really well. And so I was pretty happy to see um, them acquire you guys and, and a couple other pieces to bring this all together because that's a lot of that's one of the issues I have with our our market is there isn't enough of this consolidation. Um, we have too many standalone applications and they're not integrated well and it's very difficult for especially smaller firms even mid-sized firms and larger firms don't do a good job integrating. That's one of the reasons why we launched our uh, Ezra Group Wealth Tech Integration Score. So it's good to see 
that you did that. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listening don't realize your dominance in the UK market. And there's, there's really, there's, there's no companies in our space that have 50% market share in anything. I think CRM might be the, the highest market share with like money, get brought e-money, or I'm sorry, with a red tail with like 35% and financial planning, e-money, money, get brought on 30% each. So a 50% market share is really dominant. Yeah, it's um, and it's taken us some time to get there, Craig. That's for sure. I think we're about forty six percent in truth, so just shy of fifty. But um, it's uh, I, I think some of this is because you know we've been going for eighteen years, so it's a reasonable length of time. But also our technology covers so many different bits of that advisory life cycle, so it means it becomes an easy get get uh, go to uh, place to get what you need. Uh, and we have a store with a sort of rich API framework and dev hub, which allows third parties, sometimes competitors of ours, to integrate with our tech. And that really allows um, the advisor business to really work out what bits they want in their, in, in their lifecycle, knowing that they're not going to have to rekey data or anything like that. Speaking of the API store and dev hub, that's one of the reasons why your firm got such a good score on our integration score, because we we have a, a, a strong component. It's not just having APIs, and if anybody can build APIs, we really want to validate, are they supported? Do you have a developer uh, sandbox? Do you have are the APIs documented? Is there sample code? So all that stuff makes it uh, makes an important um, part of our scoring, and you, you guys have all that, which we were really happy to see. So uh, going back again to the other firm. So, you acquired, um, so Gemstep acquired, uh, whether Invesco acquired Gemstep and Portfolio Pathway, uh, which was an RIA uh, platform, uh, technology platform, and Red Black, which was a portfolio rebalancing uh, engine. So how, what have you done with those? If you can just go through the different products that those have, have turned into. Yeah, so that there and, and and different things for each of those products is the reality, Craig. So you started there um, mentioning Gemstep and Gemstep's uh, um uh, a, a great set of people with great technology. And the bit that I think has, has benefited us most in terms of that core platform is that the relentless focus on user journeys, whether they are journeys encompassed or delivered by the end client or for the advisor themselves or someone working within the advisor business, trying to make those user journeys as simplistic and easy to follow as possible. That true digitization of the experience. And so we've taken a lot of that capability and thinking and brought it into that, that single platform, the IntelliFlow office solution, which is essentially the bits from the UK plus, um, plus the GemStep and now portfolio pathway capability coming into there for full portfolio management. So all of that comes to comes together. Um, Red Black, as you know, is a, is a very sophisticated uh, rebalancing tool, and that continues to operate effectively um, as a standalone solution in the marketplace. So if people just want to use it from a standalone perspective, they absolutely can. But it is also our rebalancing strategy for the more combined uh, all-in-one capability. Mm. Um, it's... Um, uh, I, I said it earlier, it's, it's not easy, though, trying to bring to a single SaaS architecture. But we do believe that single SaaS architecture is, is really important because it's the bit that enables you to innovate quickly and evolve your software as, A, the market's asking for, but B, also ahead of that, you know, innovate across across different areas at a speed that I don't think is typically seen in the marketplace. Uh, we've got the benefit now, I think, of having customers in in three geographical regions around around the world. 
many of them have very much the same kind of problems. There are nuances and idiosyncrasies to the different geographies, but there are more things that are the same than there are things that are different. And so we're able to take all of those things, bring them into that single single roadmap strategy. It is true that a lot of firms struggle with this, and that leads me into my next question is how is the integration going between these applications? What are the, I mean, I'm sure you want to tell me how great it's going, but can you tell me some of the, besides how great, can you tell me some of the challenges, like share some lessons learned with other, you know, if you were sitting at a round table with CT, CEOs of other firms, like here's the things that worked well, but here's the, some of the challenges we had to come to go through. I wish I'd done something better. Yeah, I think, I mean, I suppose it depends about how you start uh, on that journey. So I think the first thing for me, and this is true as we look at the market even today, when you're looking at acquiring businesses, understand how the technology actually works is really key to how easy or difficult it is going to be to, to migrate that into a single platform. So a well-documented multi-tenant SaaS architecture into another well-documented multi-tenant SaaS architecture is possible. You know, it's not it's not easy, but it's at least possible. If you're taking other types of soft software build in, that becomes really, really difficult. So fortunately, in, in our case, all of all of the businesses tend to have the same kind of um, philosophy and structure structure to them. So that makes it easy or easier, I should say. The interesting bit, though, is the bit that you don't see on a due diligence document or a technical analysis, which is the culture. And culture is the thing that I think is probably the most important thing for us in terms of bringing the businesses together, getting everyone to understand that 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 strategy, uh, to buy into that strategy and to start working together. And particularly in our case, working together over many different time zones. Um, you know, so we cover a lot of time zones across the world. That gives you great benefit when you can get there. But in the short term, it's difficult, you know, because you're communicating at different times of the day and the windows where you overlap are relatively, relatively short. So you have to use technology itself to help make that that work better. Uh, that's a lot about communication technology, you know, a bit like we're doing today. We're on a Zoom call today uh, before things like Zoom that just wouldn't have been so wouldn't have been so interesting. You mentioned a couple of things there that I that I have don't hear many people talk about. And everyone does talk about culture. That's a very common one. Of course, SaaS architecture, if it's not cloud-based, it's gonna be very difficult to integrate. But you mentioned multi-tenant, and we don't hear a lot of firms talking about that, even though it's it's really important. They'll buy some technology, try to roll it out, and realize it's not multi-tenant. Now the core is not set up that way. It's meant to be installed individually for each firm. It's not designed to be supported at all one level with all these different tenants inside. So you can talk a little bit more about um, how you go about doing that and, and what, what would the, be the issues around uh, multi-tenant or not having a multi-tenant application? Um, so it's, it's pretty much as you've outlined there, Craig, in terms of the where the non-multi-tenant businesses have come from. You know, these are, Often these are more historic software businesses who are used to a kind of a desktop install. Um, and the challenge with that is that you've got end up with lots and lots of different customers, but all potentially on completely different versions, very difficult to maintain, very difficult to support and very difficult to enhance as well, because people operate, uh, you know, in, in many different ways uh, using the technology. So what a multi-tenant SaaS solution says is that everyone gets the same code base. We host that code base. We do it in AWS, but we host it. 
We make the changes to that. And it requires much more discipline in your software build to ensure that as you release new capability, A, it can be feature flagged out so not everyone sees it. But B, and probably more importantly, it can be made in a configurable way in which every firm who uses your tech can say, well, I'd like to work, use that same tech, but working in this way versus, uh, versus the firm down the road. So it requires much more discipline in the product stage and much more discipline in the engineering stage. But the benefits of that are huge. Customer support, customer service, maintenance, evolution, moving forward become really, really important. And we do that and we think we're, we're um, um, you know, we think we're unique in that space across uh, doing that in a global way in this space, in the financial advisory space. Clearly, there are lots of generic players out there, people like Salesforce who do, do the same thing in a generic world. We do it purely and focused on the financial advisors world. With this integration that's been going on for, it's go, is this 18 months the integration has been going on for? Yeah, a little bit longer, two years now. Two years. So you're two years into the integration. One of the questions I like to ask is everyone wants to talk about successes, but I find I learned the most from mistakes. So what mistake did you make in this two-year process that you learned the most from? Um, a few there, Craig. Really good question. I think one of the initial challenges we made was just trying to understand how best to piece things together. Uh, and that is a combination around capability and capability is actually quite easy to assess what the different capabilities of different stacks are the harder bit is understanding what's the best way to actually fit them together from a, a technical point of view so we made a couple of um uh, you know took a couple of wrong end turns there and, and going down cul-de-sacs that actually became difficult to to progress from that point so we'd step back and we say okay let's think about this in a different way. So involve your technologists very heavily in this space. Uh, we did, but we still could have done more work in, in terms of in terms of that in terms of that preparation, I think. Um, that was probably the biggest thing I, I think that's in, involved um, a kind of a turnaround. The other one though is again back to that cultural piece. And in this context, what I'm talking about culturally is understanding, you know, when two businesses go together, you've got your stars in each of those businesses separately. How are those stars going to perform together? And how are they going to um, understand what are the best things for them to be focusing on now? you Because you don't want to match everyone across across each other. You want to get the best from each person and understand how you can evolve them. So working that piece out is really important. One thing I find with acquisitions is the acquiring firm always wins. So whatever you have, you're, you win, right? Whether it's culture, whether it's tech, whether it's processes, you just impose your will on, on the companies you acquire because that's usually the way, way it goes. And a lot of people in the acquiring firm have a vested interest in those things, whether it's a, a piece of software that they run and if that gets replaced, they have no point in life. Were there, were there any things you brought in from the acquiring firms that, that took over something in the... Uh, IntelliFlow uh, framework, whether it's a process, a procedure, or software that was replaced by something that came in? Yeah, there are definitely things. And I think, um, again, it comes back to that at the point of acquisition. I think everyone needs to be very clear on what the what the direction is and what the strategy is, because, you know, as and, uh, and I speak, speak from my own perspective in that, I knew when we originally back in 2018 sold uh sold to Invesco we knew there was another you know that we knew that there was a strategy and we bought into that strategy and the evolution of uh, technology across the financial advice space was 
was um, was pretty key to what we wanted to do anyway. But we were looking for actually a partner uh, and an owner that bought in into that message. I think when we look, um, probably the biggest changes in the areas of overlap there are about where you've got engineering teams, for example. It's not just engineers, but they're a great example. We've got engineering teams in different different areas, different companies, different parts of the globe who have to work effectively together. And that means some change on all all halves because no one's got it fully right, just as no one's got it fully wrong. There's, there's uh, elements of greatness about what everyone does. And you want to take the best of those bits and bring them together. Uh, and that takes time. It certainly does. You, know, you, def- you definitely want the best of the best. Or why, why acquire these firms if you're not going to take the best pieces from it? Let's talk about the uh, the bringing together of these different applications. So what are the, some of the advantages? Now, clearly, you didn't have some of these capabilities before. You didn't have the U.S. presence before. So those are obvious advantages. But what are some of the other advantages people may not see on the surface in this new consolidated offering that wasn't available as these applications when they're running separately? So I suppose that there are advantages to our users and then there are advantages internally to us. And they're, they're, they're sometimes the same, but, 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 but often they're different. If you look at advantages to our users, what we're able to do by bringing the applications together into um, a, a more cohesive experience is make sure that those user journeys operate as effectively as you possibly can. And when you actually look at the the user workflow, whether this is an advisor or a power plan or someone else in, in, in the business using the technology, very often actually what they're using is a whole range of functionality in a in a often a pretty ad hoc way, but sometimes joined up, but they will jump between the different states and different systems many, many times to get to the point to which they want to operate. By bringing these together, we can take pieces of each journey and play them at the right point in time, not just think about them as separate applications that integrate together, but journeys that are cohesive, grabbing bits from um, essentially from platform A, right for this screen, from B for the next one, back to A, onto C, and so on. So it can create a much better better user journey. And when you think of the the scope with which our, our software uh, covers, so you know that CRM, practice management, uh, financial planning, portfolio management, rebalancing, digital account opening, workflow, doc man, all of those kind of areas. It's pretty. It's a pretty wide stretch. You want to make sure that they operate effectively as effectively together as as, as they can. Internally, we've had lots of uh, success through that because there are a number of areas of overlap, which it means we don't have to double down and duplicate code duplicate support processes, duplicate customer success, how we think about servicing our customers, we can bring that together in a much more holistic way. And therein lies the rub. How do you do all that in a seam, make it to make it appear seamless, to make it appear as, as though it's one application when you've really got all these separate applications? Were there any um, issues running into with the underlying code where it's just so different, the application? I mean, I guess I know you're not, you're not the technology guy, but were there any big technology issues that came up? Like this code base is just so different. We're going to have to do X, Y, Z, put a wrapper around it, do some sort of interfaces to, to get this integrated. Um, in the main, no, because of the choices right at the beginning about making sure that the types of business that were bought would be sympathetic in terms of how they've been architected to, 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 the, to the end state solution, if you like. 
Um, but there are always small areas where you say, OK, right, that's got to work in a slightly different way from how, how, how we how we anticipated. And I think, I mean, the reality is that's true of all, all software businesses around the world. You can just make it easier or harder depending on your initial initial choices. One application I forgot to mention was I4C, which is your financial planning cash flow modeling solution. And that was originally a UK-based application, was it not? It, it was, yeah. So we, we we acquired I4C back in 2019. Very strong financial planning, cash flow modeling uh, piece of capability, uh, but entirely focused on the UK at that point in time. What we did was we did uh, and we did some re-architecture of their solution, but very much kept the user journeys the same. Built on the great stuff that had been built by the um, by the, the 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 owners and founders of that business, made it even better globalize it at the same time it's live in australia now as well with some with with some customers and we'll be bringing that into the us um hopefully towards the end of this year fantastic uh, we are always looking for more financial planning tools you can never have enough because there's always people that want something a little bit different uh, want want to be unique uh, see the way they um, conduct the business differently than other advisors and and that's and there's more and more financial planning led practices now so there, there's always a, a room for a new solution absolutely Craig and we see a similar actually similar sort of um paradigm in in the UK we're integrated with about seven or eight um competitive third-party financial planning solutions because as you say advisors want to choose the way they want to work and there can be different you know different ways on that working so long as you're making it as easy as possible for them to operate with those tools then you know, we see that as our as you know part of our role we encourage everyone to integrate with everyone, whether you're even if you're direct competitors. Although we don't, we don't pen, on our integration score. Just to go a little behind the scenes, we don't penalize vendors who don't integrate with other vendors in their category. But if you do, you get you get extra points for that because I think it's helpful. You might think, well, why would we? But because of what you said, this, some firms may want to make some unique com combination, or they may already have something and don't want to get rid of it. Uh, so it's not unusual to have. Uh, vendors integrating with each other, even if they're direct competitors. Exactly. I mean, most businesses, I think, talk about how they're very customer focused and a customer first mentality. And um, we'd like to think that's true of us as well. But I don't think it can be true of you if you don't integrate with competitors, because actually you're, you're then saying it's not customer first, it's us first, customer second. A term I've used for probably over 20 years is is a competition. And everyone yeah. is, is a competitor, but everyone's also a partner. And uh, a long time ago, I worked for a company called uh, ADP, Automated Data Processing, which is a big payroll provider in the U.S. But when I worked there, it was so long ago, they had a market data business. And they were one of the largest providers of real-time market data to uh, broker-dealers in, in the country, Merrill Lynch and Shearson and other companies, that other, other very large firms at the time. And one of our biggest competitors on the market data side was Reuters where they had their own market data platform, which is now called Thomson One, uh, and not even owned by Reuters anymore. But uh, they were our biggest competitor. But on the back office side, because we also had a back office business of, of clearing custody, they were our biggest client. Right, so you, oh, wow. Right, so you, that's, and we see the same thing now with different firms, uh, the same issues. And so you just have to deal with it. With firms, who half our clients are software firms, and they're always telling us, well, well we don't want to work with those guys. They're our competitor. I'm like, you're going to have to. Because you're going to wind up with the same clients. So you might as well figure it out now and get used to it. Yeah. We also think, uh, Craig, on that, that it's important to work with small um, competitors 
who you might not even regard as uh, uh, competitors yet because they're so nascent. But actually, if we believe in the evolution of advice, and we absolutely do, you know, fundamental, our mission statement is widening access to advice. We want to do that. And we do that in conjunction with other technology players sometimes, sometimes by ourselves, but sometimes with, with other technology players along. And the only way to achieve that is if you embrace innovation across all sectors. That doesn't mean that one company does all the innovation. It means you harness everyone within that space. Innovation is an easy word to say, but difficult to execute on. Uh, so you mentioned you're going to be finalizing a U.S. version of the I4C uh, platform, your financial planning tool, for the U.S. by the end of the year. Uh, can you talk about any other features on your product roadmap the next six to 12 months? Yeah, so um, certainly in, in the U.S. over the next six to 12 months, we're going to be launching our, 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 what we determine our next generation platform-based solution in the U.S. Still, just as I've been talking about earlier, still open and integrated, but this will be a comprehensive offering in the marketplace, um, uh, which advisors will be able to use or use us alongside others in an integrated fashion, and essentially enabling them to choose the best of breeds bits that they want for both advisory and brokerage business if they're, if, if they're in that space. What we want to end though, is that kind of swivel chair experience where people use solution A for the first bit and then turn their chair and rekey stuff in that's just you know that that just doesn't make sense in in, in a modern day age and our open architecture solves that by sol uh, by solving the sort of the the data end of the solution and our single platform solution operator solves that by solving the user experiences too so we're very excited about that it's going to be going to be a really interesting year uh, we've got customers live on the us product already and then the one we take to the marketplace, which is the next evolution of that towards the end of this year, we think is going to be pretty game changing. That is fantastic. I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Can we get a demo? Get me on the demo list. <laughs> yes, you can. I want to see that. Fantastic. So uh, now you've, you've, you're, you've had all these acquisitions. You had two years to digest them. Any more acquisitions on the horizon? Anything you can talk about or any particular areas you're looking at? We're always looking at the at the marketplace as a whole, sort of evaluating the businesses that are out there, both small and large. Uh, and actually, we've seen this enormously in the UK. Um, you talked earlier, uh, Craig asked me about the I4C business that we acquired in the UK in, in 2019. They're actually a great example of a relatively small business who linked in with us via the API. Uh, we're on our store we saw people starting to use them. We saw it gaining traction. We liked the interactions we had with the business itself. So it gave us a real insight into the business itself and, and therefore was was, was good, a good one for us to acquire. We want to continue with that, that, that process, not just looking at businesses we're integrated with, but that's a really easy place for us to, to get a, an understanding firsthand of what that business and the, and the software they run is, is like. So we're still open and flexible always looking at businesses we can uh, we can uh, acquire so long as it fulfills the mission which is you know helping that financial advisory life cycle helping advisors become more effective more efficient at what they're doing making it open and transparent to them but also to their end client that is fantastic and you have said it all and we have run out of time. Time flies, man. Where can our listeners find out more information about IntelliFlow? Uh, the best place is probably our website. Um, 
But the website itself is going to evolve as well over time. As, and as we start releasing more capability into the into the US marketplace, you will see that website evolve and the information we publish on there. We're also uh, attending a few conferences over the course of this year. Um, so, um, you know, watch this space. And the website is IntelliFlow, I-N-T-E-L-L-I-F-L-O, just an O, no W, F-L-O.com. And it should go slash US. I think it just, it just popped up for me that way. So everyone will yeah. see that. So IntelliFlow.com, that's where you want to go. Uh, Nick, thank you so much for being on the program. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Craig. I've enjoyed it. Hey, it's Craig again. Here are my top three takeaways from this episode. IntelliFlow has a robust API framework, lots of integrations, and a developer hub. We love that here at Ezra Group. We're really pushing for vendors to build out more uh, APIs, build out more integrations to especially the top uh, 25 to 30 key applications, as well as the other, as many other applications as they can, but specifically the top 30 to 40 applications that are the core of uh, US advisor tech. So we like that IntelliFlow has built those out and has that framework available. Uh, second takeaway, we are I was very interested in this episode to learn uh, about the mistakes that were made and some best practices around acquiring and integrating different software products, and some of which, which may have overlapping functionality. Some of the things, uh, advice that Nick gave us was culture is an important aspect to consider when merging these different businesses, and also considering, look at the high-performing players in each organization and plan for how you will integrate them into the future, um, the, the larger merged company. And before acquiring, do the due diligence on the underlying code and the architecture of the firm you're, you're buying. Does it align with what you are merging it into? How old is the code base? Can you keep it? Do we have to, what part of it do we have to kill? What parts do we have to rewrite? All those things need to go into your, um, your review before you pull the trigger. We have seen in our, we do a lot of M&A uh, due diligence work for PE firms, um, investment firms, as well as the wealth tech firms. And one of the things we see is a rush to to get the deal done without really taking the time to look at the underlying technology that you're acquiring. And we've seen some firms make some terrible mistakes of buying tech that they basically have to throw away because it just, uh, they, they did a too, too cursory a review of the technology and when they really dug down into it, which they should have done before, they found out it was a big mess, uh, very old code, not working very well, and they had to ditch it. And the third uh, takeaway is in the next 12 months, Intelliflow will be launching their next-gen platform in the U.S., which we are excited to see come to market. And that's it. You've reached the end of another episode of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. Thanks for listening. Please go to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, and scroll to the bottom of the homepage and sign up for our newsletter. Once a month, you'll receive an email chock full of wealth management goodness, news, analysis, updates, links. You will not be disappointed. Thanks for listening and talk to you all again next time.